Let's pray and we'll get started today. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Father, for all of the blessings, Lord, that you've given to us. I thank you, Father, that you are our supply and our source in this new year. I thank you, Lord, that we can look upon this new year with great expectation and faith and hope, knowing that you will be with us and you will show yourself strong in this year as you have so faithfully in every year in the past. And we thank you for that. We look forward to the new things that you have for us in this new year. And we dedicate this first service and this first class to you, Lord. And we ask you to just receive this, even as a tithe of the year, so to speak. Lord, we just give it to you. I pray that we will give you the very best worship that we can offer to you because you're worthy of it, Lord. I pray that you would receive praises from us and it would be a sweet-smelling sacrifice to you. Lord, I pray that you would bless us in this year, that you would keep us and our families, God. We ask you, Lord, to keep watch over us by your mighty, wonderful, loving eye. Oh, God, keep our families safe. Keep us safe in this year. Heal us, God. We know there are many among us that are struggling with various sicknesses and ailments right now. And we lift them up, Lord. We know many of them can't be here today. And so, God, we ask your blessings of healing to be upon them. You have said that by your stripes we are healed. And so, Lord, I pray that they will be made whole this very day. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you bless and keep us from sickness and disease as well. And we give you praise for it, Lord. I pray for every teacher this morning, Lord, that the anointing of the Lord would be upon each one in every class and that the word of the Lord will go forth in power and in might and that your people will be edified and strengthened this very day for the work that you've called us to do in the coming days and weeks ahead. And we give you praise. May this be the year that you come for your bride. We look forward to your return. And we lift up all of these things and ask you to be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to you. And today I would like to begin, I'd like to begin a new series with y'all for the next several weeks. I'd like to cover something that I'm calling, and I, and I want to take us through the names of God. And um, I want us to discover more about our Lord through learning and understanding him by the way he revealed himself in the word through the names that he has chosen to reveal himself by. And we're going to learn more about him through his covenant name and the associated revelations he's given us with that. So as a way of introduction, I want to bring this lesson to you today, and I'm going to build some things up here as we go along. But I'd like to start <clears throat> with reading a portion of Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. It's speaking in this chapter about some end-time things, the king of the north and the king of the south and all of that. And that's not where we're going today. But I do want to focus in on the very end of that verse. And the verse says, Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people, this is where I want to focus, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out, in the New King James it says, great exploits. And so I want to focus on this for just a moment, sort of as a way of introduction. 
this is speaking about those who know God, who know him intimately. And when we know God intimately, this verse tells us that we will be strong. This is speaking of the last days. It's speaking of the times of the end. And he says, Daniel prophesies, and he says that we will be strong and do great things, accomplish and carry out and fulfill the work that God has called us to do if we know God intimately. So we want to learn more about God. Is that not the greatest joy in our life is to know the Lord, to know him intimately, to grow in a deeper relationship with him. And one of the ways we do that is by learning who he is through who he has chosen to reveal to us, reveal himself as to us. So we're going to begin and look at his covenant name and various attributes that he has attached and revealed himself to through that name and through particular situations. And we're going to find him to be just as true to us in those situations as he was to those people involved throughout the word as we look at that. So when, I, when we, the first thing I want to do is study and understand what the word name means from a Jewish perspective, from the perspective of the writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament. In Western thought, sometimes we give something a name merely as an identifier, and we don't see it as something very special or with a, a very um, deep meaning or richness to it. And sometimes nowadays, parents are becoming a little more keen to that in naming their children certain names that mean certain things. But for many years, it may not have been that way. However, for the, for the Jewish people and those who were the authors of Scripture, they understood it much differently. To them, names were very important. And we see that all through Scripture. Names were descriptive of that person's character essence, or nature. And you might say, for instance, we might understand it this way. You describe someone, and you might say of that person, well, she's a fireball. Or you might say someone is a bulldog because they're very strong and boisterous about something and tenacious. You might say that someone's a party animal because that person just likes to have fun a lot and do a lot of things. So we may describe someone's character by using phrases like these, but the Jews tended to name someone a descriptive name that would either describe that character that they intended to develop in that person or that they perhaps had a vision for, a prophetic vision from the Lord for, that was describing that person's character, that person's nature. And this applies to God as well. The name that he reveals himself as describes who he is. It tells us his character. It tells us his nature. So sometimes these names were given in a sense to prophesy or declare hopes over someone in that sense of the name. So let's think about a few scriptures that speak of the name of God. We have many throughout scripture, and we'll look at some of those over the coming weeks. But in Psalm 72, 17, for instance, it talks about how God's name will continue 
forever, and all will be blessed in him. In Psalm 96, 8 through 9, it talks about how he is worth glory that is due his name. And we focused on on looking at his worth in our worship a few weeks ago. In Psalm 111, verse 9, it speaks of how holy and awesome or reverend is his name. And I went to MIP school and I got my reverend title, if you will. They, they attach that to me and things that come from the state. But I don't consider myself reverend. The Bible tells me there's only one name to be revered, one name to be feared, and that is the name of the Lord. So his name is holy. His name is reverend, God alone. Psalm 113.3, his name is to be praised, halleled, made a boast of, shined about all throughout the day and the night. It says, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. I was thinking about that recently. I was kind of meditating on that recently, and I thought about that. You know, and I thought, that actually is, in reality, continuous around the globe. Because the rising of the sun to the setting here, halfway around the world, guess what? When our sun sets, what happens? Their sun rises. So from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, depending on no matter where you live in the world, the name of the Lord is to be halleled. It is to be boasted about. It is to be shown and made a boast about. So it is speaking of it being continuously. There are many other places that speak of his name, praising his name, knowing his name. He is holy. The angels chant how he is holy all the time. And every time it's a fresh one. It's a fresh cry because he's done something that sets him apart. So when we look at the Hebrew word for name, it is the word Shem. When they reference God's name, they will speak of him, the Jews will, as Hashem or the name. That's how they refer to him. You'll see that even today. If you listen to any of the Messianic Jewish teachers or any of that, you will hear them speak or or see signs and shows from Israel. You will hear them speak of God as Hashem, the name, the name that is to be revered and holy. And they hold it in so much esteem that they refer to him as the name rather than trying to say Yahweh, or any of the other names that he's revealed himself in Scripture, because they do not want to dishonor God's name. If you look at any of their writings, you will see, for instance, if they spell out Lord, they will spell L hyphen R-D, because they do not want to put the, the vowel in there and have anyone mispronounce it or dishonor it. They'll do the same thing with God. You'll see it G hyphen D because they don't want it mispronounced or disrespected. So there's a reverence that they have for the name of God that somehow the church has lost. I'm very grateful, I'm very, very grateful that God is our friend, that God loves us, and that he has a relationship with us. I'm very grateful for that, and I don't take away from that. But sometimes in focusing on that, We lose sight of the reverence of the name of God. We lose sight of the importance of honoring him. 
and honoring his name. And sometimes we can let that go a little too loose in our thoughts and become a little too casual. The word meaning of this word name is literally a mark of individuality, but it speaks deeper than that. It's talking about the honor, the character, the reputation, the existence or the very nature of a person. The theological word book of the Old Testament says that the name chosen for a, for a child was often descriptive of the parent's wishes or expectations for that child and what was to mature in them. One reference says that Hebrews' names were word, words given to describe character or what makes them what they are. There are many other references that also speak of that, and they talk about how it's the existence or the essence of the character of that person. To shine light on this and the beauty of this, I want to take you through a phrase. And Joseph, get ready to put the phrase up for me if you don't mind. Dr. Chuck Missler, I don't know how many of you know of him, but he is an excellent scholar of the Word, devoted to the study and the teaching of the Word. He um, has an online Bible school training session that you can go to. He's, he's a genius. He's absolute genius. I mean, you, talk, you listen to him, and he's so far over your head. It's like, golly bum. I don't, he's, he's brilliant. He's literally brilliant. And there are others that confirm this. But what Chuck Missler did, he wrote this article called The Gospel in Genesis. And in that article, he describes how you can look at the first 10 names of the godly line from Adam to Noah. And they're listed for you in Genesis chapter 5. You will find them. And when you take their names, Adam was such and such years old, and he begot Seth. We're talking about the line of Seth. We're talking about the godly line that came from Adam that Christ ultimately came from. And you take the first ten of those from Adam to Noah, and you get this phrase. Do you have it up, Joseph? Man, if you take and this is just coming from the meanings of their names from one through ten, the first ten generations. And Dr. Chuck Missler and others put it like this. Man is or has appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. It's beautiful symbol and picture the gospel of Jesus Christ summarized by looking merely at the first ten names of the godly line of generations in Scripture. It's very powerful. And that shows us some of the depth of the Hebrew understanding of these names. So somehow, God appointed these names and even in that embedded a beautiful phrase that is the summary of the gospel. Instead of the mortal sorrow that we brought or we appointed or we brought upon ourselves, the blessed God will descend or will come down and his death is going to bring us rest, peace with God. Beautiful, beautiful way to understand the gospel right there in the book of Genesis. 
Moving on, to call one's name over something signified ownership or possession. To say something like you'll read in Scripture, for your name's sake, speaking of the Lord, might be understood to be what is customary for your character, what is in keeping with your character. You might see someone do something and you go, or, or hear about someone doing something, and you might think, that's out of character for that person. Because you've come to know that person and you know that they're not like that. Give you an example. I just got hacked on my Facebook yesterday and found out about it. Spent the whole day worrying over this thing and trying to get it all fixed and all that mess. And so I sent out a note immediately as soon as the first person let me know about it. And I said, hey, listen, friends, if y'all get something that you know ain't from me, it's not from me. <laughs> if it's out of my character, if it's out of my norm, it's not from me. So just know, you know, I've been hacked and all of that. So anyway, hopefully by God's grace that's taken care of but I'm just saying that we know people's character and so you can identify sometimes when something just doesn't fit that person to say the phrase in Jesus name is that same kind of idea in the scriptures we have several places where that's used in the New Testament but I want to read one of those and it says in John chapter 14 verse 13 and whatever you ask in my name that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we're, ta we're taught about asking for things in Jesus' name, but what does that really mean? And it's talking about those things, those ideas, those attitudes, those actions that match and line up with his character, with his honor, with the nature of who he is. This phrase was not meant to be some kind of magical type formula that we attach to the end of every prayer, but that it was meant to be the spirit in which the prayer is given. What Jesus is telling us is that when we pray, we should pray in his character, in his very nature, in accordance with his very nature. And the prayers given in accordance with that, he will always answer. In the Greek, Rick Renner speaks of it this way. He talks about how it represents the full authority that exists in that person being named. That a believer actually stands in the physical place of Jesus, who is in heaven, and we are acting on his behalf and operating in the authority he has vested in us as his official representative, to represent his very nature, to represent his very will in this earth. And so lastly, let's look at one other thing that Thayer's points out about the word name, so you understand this as well. It is used for everything which the name covers, everything that, that the thought or feeling of which is aroused in the name, by, in the mind, by mentioning, hearing, or remembering that name. In other words, it's saying that when we mention a person's name and we know that person, certain things will come to your mind. Certain feelings will rise up in you when you just hear the very name. I'll give you an example. Ronald Reagan. Every one of you Think of certain things, you have certain feelings that arise in you because I mentioned Ronald Reagan's name. Give you another one, Hitler. Every one of you have certain thoughts 
or feelings or attitudes because you know about that person, you know enough about him to have certain things come up in your, in your brain. Saddam Hussein, Elvis Presley, those are just examples. So that's what Thayer's is talking about. When you mention each of those just by merely saying their name, you, uh, you conjure in your mind and in your attitudes a certain thought about that person. So that's what we're going to learn, and we're going to see as we go through these things when we learn the names of God, because God wants us to know him and to know him intimately. So I've titled, I titled this series, and I call it Run, Kitty, Run. And I know that's kind of a phrase that sounds kind of quirky and funny, and you wonder what, where in the world did that come from. But I'm going to explain that to you now. I'd like for us to go through several of the names in the next few weeks and understand this about why Run Kitty Run is foundational in this understanding. And it comes from something the Lord showed me from Proverbs 18.10, and that's where we're going to be now. Joseph, you could put up that picture if you have it and you're ready. Run Kitty Run came from this verse. Proverbs 18.10 is the foundational verse for this study. And it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And I want you to understand some things about this verse because it's very powerful to get this and the, and the understanding of it and see what God is telling us by saying this about this. He is saying that his very name, which signifies his character, which signifies his nature, which signifies who he is, is like a strong tower to us. A place where we can hide for refuge. A place that we can run to and be safe. A place that we can rest in and find our solace and our peace in. And that strong tower in this image is depicted by a big old tree, a strong, sturdy tree. And the reason I chose this is because of what this, this verse says. It says, the righteous run to it and are safe. And I want to focus on what that word safe means. It means they are inaccessibly high or too high for capture. And when I was reading that one day and I was studying about that in preparation for this series, I started thinking about that, that phrase. And, and this is the image that came to me. A dog chases a cat. When a dog chases a cat, what in the world is that cat going to do to get away from it? It's going to run and it's going to find a tree that it can run up. Why? Because the cat knows the dog can't climb the tree. The cat knows that if that cat can get high in those branches, then they are inaccessibly high. They are too high for capture, and the cat, the dog can't get them. Now listen to me. The name of the Lord is like that for us. When the enemy is chasing us with lies and with his deceits and with his trickeries, we can run up 
into the name of Yahweh in the way he has revealed himself to us. We can run there and we can hide and we can be safe. And sometimes running into his name is all we've got to hold on to. Sometimes things in life happen that tear us apart, that we don't understand. And we need to know God and what keeps us and sets us apart from many in the world and keeps us solid as a rock is knowing his name. And because we know, what, what do we know? That his name means his character, his nature. We know what God has revealed in Scripture. We learn to know him. And then we know that we can trust him no matter what. No matter how bad the times are. No matter, matter what the weather is like in our life, so to speak. No matter what's going on, we can know him. And so that's where I came up with the title, Run, Kitty Run. We can run to the name of the Lord and be safe. And it says in this verse that it is the righteous that run to it and are safe. And so that speaks of this blood covenant need. The blood covenant that we have through Jesus Christ being what invites us and allows us to come into this relationship in Genesis 15, God cut covenant with Abraham. And if you'll remember, he told him to get five different types of beings for sacrifice, animals and birds. And there were five of them, and they had to cut the animals in two. And when they cut covenant in that day, the understanding was both parties would walk between the pieces. And in essence, they were saying, if either of us break this covenant. Let it happen to me as what happened to these animals. And when God cut covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, he alone walked through the pieces. Abraham was in a deep sleep. Abraham and what God was saying in that, the point of that is, this covenant that I'm making with you is wholly dependent on me. It is wholly dependent on my faithfulness. It is wholly dependent on my nature. It is wholly dependent on me and not you. It's not about your works. It's not about whether you can keep this or not. It's about the faithfulness of me and my name and my character and my nature. And so God cut covenant then with Abraham. And Abraham's the father of our faith. And then we come to the New Testament, and guess what? God cuts covenant with us. It's called a new covenant by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. And he cuts covenant with us on the blood of the cross, through the cross and having the cross nail him and cut him, and through the lashes that pierced his body and that severed and lashed his body, he cut covenant that is wholly dependent on him and our part I was reading the other day and it, it, in one of the in one of the scriptures and it said the work of God is to believe on Jesus Christ that's the only work he demands from us the other works we give that are good works we offer to him out of love and out of a heart that's devoted to him but the work that he demands from us is that we believe on his son. 
that we believe on the covenant in the covenant and we enter the covenant relationship that he cut with us through Jesus on the cross. When we know his name through the blood covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, we have privileged access to him and to the authority, character, resources, and reputation of his name. We are able then to live in this world and shine as lights to other people because we know his name. So in these next few weeks, I want us to take this journey together and get to know our God because things may happen in life. And when they do, we can run to the God that we know and trust in him because we hide in his nature, in his faithfulness, in his character. And we find our refuge there. Father, I pray that you would bless this word. I pray that you will bless this season of study, that you will draw the people into your word and into a deeper understanding of you through how you chose to reveal yourself in covenant with us through your name. And Father, I bless you and I praise you. I pray for the rest of the service this morning that it will be blessed and anointed of the Lord and that the word of God will go forth in power and your people will be ministered to and that everyone that it comes into this house will leave changed and blessed by the Spirit of God this day. In Jesus' name, amen.